Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Daily. I am your host, Connor Bromley, and we are joined by one of our video producers, Ned Keaton, and we're also joined by one of our journalists, Colin Miller. Plenty on the agenda today, but I think the only logical place to start is that mad transfer news story that has been bubbling away, I would say, for a week or so, but really, really hit fever pitch yesterday. Cristiano Ronaldo potentially in a shock return to the Premier League and potentially to Manchester, but not Manchester United. It looks like Manchester City could be the place for him. So we'll start with you, Colin. What are your initial reactions to this transfer story and and how realistic is it? Could it happen? It's just this latest sort of bombshell and this bombshell transfer windows. It, it's been crazy over the last month of Lionel Messi and then Kylian Mbappe and Cristiano Ronaldo. So it's it's sort of it, it's almost they're almost all interconnected because obviously Manchester City have been chasing a striker all summer long as it's been very well documented and their pursuit of Harry Kane hasn't come off and now I wouldn't say that they're at the point of desperation to bring a striker in, but the circumstances have sort of forced their hand to be in a scenario whereby they're considering options that they might not have considered a month or two ago. And when you think of what Cristiano Ronaldo would bring in terms of that sort of forward striking pivot where he can sort of just be a penalty box player, that is something that Manchester City probably have lacked in the past year or two, certainly since Sergio Aguero um, sort of physical capabilities kind of went down a little bit and he started to get more injuries. So this will add another dimension to Manchester City's attack. Now, obviously, it's a move that nobody really saw coming, especially because of Ronaldo's connections with Manchester United. But in a way, it is a move that will make a lot of sense in the fact that City obviously didn't really have a continuity plan for whenever the key and transfer broke down. And now they have this option of signing one of, of not the greatest goal scorer of all time and certainly penalty box goal scorers. I mean, this this is something that can really transform and revolutionise Pep Guardiola's side going into the new campaign. And yeah, it's definitely a surprise. But I think whenever you kind of come to terms with it, there's a lot, there's a lot of it that does make sense. And Ned, for me, one of the things that really struck me was the fact that it's a Manchester United borderline legend. You'd say certainly um, a well-thought-of player there. And he said previously he would never play for Manchester City. So to me, you know, as a Sunderland fan, that's like seeing Bob Stoke you know, after winning the FA Cup with Sunderland going back to Newcastle or something. It, it seems a bit mental that he could make that move. But what do you make of that? I think it's just the side of where football's going now. I think there's no loyalty left in the game, is there? Um, you know, kind of. But but what loyalty does he have to Man United? You know, I know I know people will look at it and say that he's a United legend. They gave him the break in the game. But if he wasn't United, someone else would have picked him up. You know, he's a generational talent. Um, you know, it's not like United kind of picked him up from nowhere and kind of turned him into a player that he is and with all the help. And, you know, of course, look, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson has probably had a big impact on his career and, and the players that he played alongside have, have had a, a great impact on him too. But likewise, playing at Real Madrid, likewise playing at, at Juventus, maybe not so much in the current Juventus side, you know, kind of compared to, to previous teammates that he's had at Real and Man United. Um, but yeah, you, you're right in a sense that it is still a bit of a of a shock, you know, kind of. But you have to wonder whether or not as well, the fact that, the, the the rivalry between Man United and Man City is obviously growing and growing every year, but it's still not as perhaps as as kind of intense as the one between Man United and Liverpool, you know. So maybe in his head, Ronaldo thinks that this doesn't matter too much. Maybe in his head as well, you know, he's just used to kind of always being a little bit of the pantomime villain somewhat. And he's kind of looking forward to kind of in, enjoying that role back in England again. Um, so, yeah, when you look at it on the surface, you're right, you know, kind of having 
made a name for himself at a crosstown rivals. You'd be surprised to see him go and join City, but but it's just the way that football's going now, you know, kind of, and you always try and, and find your way to find the best route to winning the biggest trophies, I think. And do you think, Colin, one thing that struck me was when Manchester United uh, had Cristiano Ronaldo last, Manchester City were not very good. You know, they were pretty bog-standard Premier League team. Do you think he maybe, you know, almost hasn't realised kind of what the rivalry's like now? Because when he was there, you know, 10, 11 years ago, it was Manchester United and Liverpool and Manchester United and Arsenal, Manchester United and Chelsea. They were the big rivals. And he probably didn't get that feeling of hatred that I think's grown since that point. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a totally fair point. Uh, and when you when you look at Ronaldo's time at Man United, I mean, he he led them to three straight Premier League titles. There was the Champions League title, and obviously that was all twelve years ago now. And and United haven't won a Premier League title in eight years. So the rivalry in the sort of top end of English football, I wouldn't say that it's totally transformed, but but the the power balance certainly has swung towards Manchester City. Um, whereas United obviously just haven't been right at that very very top level for a little while. So yeah, the, the dynamics have changed, but. I think what's relevant here is that you know Ronaldo has always whilst he had a loyalty to United in, in a sense I think that was more down to his sort of connection with Sir Alex Ferguson and with a lot of his teammates there and he saw Ferguson as a sort of a father figure for him and he really had that close connection but he always wanted to join Real Madrid he always wanted to have all this this sort of glory he wanted to have the big money transfer he wanted to break all these records and then whenever he did all that with Real Madrid he's like well you know new challenge I want to challenge myself somewhere else I want to be treated with respect somewhere else so he goes and joins Juventus scores 100 goals in three years and now he's sort of fed up there and he's like, well, where will be where will be the best place for me? If he if he looks at this situation, Manchester City obviously reached last year's Champions League final. They've won three of the last four Premier League titles. Ronaldo was obsessed with records, with trophies. So and again, that is a sort of logical kind of cold look at it. So I think he, whilst there's a connection there with his past, I think he probably overlooks that quite easily and thinks like, you know, Manchester City might just be the best club for me at the moment. And that, that's all I'm really focused on. And Ned, do you think that if Manchester United matched that offer, you know, they they got the, the deal done with Juventus and they, they match what Manchester City are putting in terms of wages, do you think Ronaldo would go back to Manchester United? Do you think at the minute he's going to Man City because Manchester United aren't interested? No, I think I think Colin's hit the nail on the head there. To Ronaldo, what what appeals to him most is the ability to win trophies and to to break those records. And who's in the best position to do that? Is it Man United at the minute, or is it Man City? Of course, the romance you kind of always look and you kind of go, oh, it'd be great for him to, you know, it was like that talk about Messi going back to uh, to Argentina and finishing off his career there. You know, the kind of romance and players always do that. Go back to their boyhood club. Rooney done it with Everton as well, but. I don't think Ronaldo's interested in that in, in one bit, one eye to one jot. You know, he's, he's interested in winning trophies. That's the business that he's in, breaking records. You know, he'll probably have two years at Man City and then go off to the MLS and try and break every single record there. He, you know, kind of become their top goal scorer of all time and whatever, or sell the most shirts or something. That's, that's the currency that he trades in, it's trophies. Um, and, yeah, you know, there'll be Man United fans who kind of think, no, 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 he'll still come back to us. You know, if we put the offer in, if we match it, you know, he'll come back to us. But, Quite frankly, I, I can't see it myself. It's, it's trophies or nothing for Ronaldo. It doesn't matter about fan adulation and who loves him or whatever. It's just so that he can look back at the end of his career and look at all those glittering, sparkling things in his cabinet and go, yep, I won those. That's my career there. Do you think, Colin, this puts Manchester City, if they can pull this off, does this put them up a level? Because at the minute, I think it's fair to say that even though Man City have had so much success and they've had Pep Guardiola, they're still not 
I think in a lot of people's eyes, level with Manchester and Liverpool in terms of size of club. I think Chelsea's creeping in there as well. Do you think if they get Manchester, if they get Cristiano Ronaldo, that will nudge them up a level and put them with the real world great clubs because they've managed to pull off signing arguably the greatest player of all time, certainly somebody who's in the conversation. Do you think that will change for them and, and you know help them in terms of merchandise, but also making sure the stadium's sold out every game? Because currently <laughs> they do struggle to sell out the Etihad despite how good they are. How much will that change for Man City? Yeah, again, this is really interesting because we always think of Man City along with PSG for natural reasons of, of their sort of ascendancy to this sort of top level of football and, and how they've gone about it. But when you look at their approach to transfers over the past decade, um, PSG have always been sort of focused and almost obsessed by this idea of bringing in star names. They always they always dreamt of bringing in Messi. They always dreamt of bringing in Neymar and Mbappe. They they almost like a basketball team. This is like a franchise, you know, this is, this was like their, their sort of dream of what they could have, like a Harlem Globetrotters type team. Whereas Man City would, are, are different in that sense. And I think that's because a lot of the people that were behind the scenes in Man City were heavily involved with Barcelona and they were like, look, we're going to build a team rather than a sort of, this sort of glitzy team of stars, which is more the PSG approach. So, that has worked, and I think that is probably a more sustainable approach. But you're right, and that what that does do is that that means that they've never signed a player who really almost transcends the club. I mean, you can make an argument that Cristiano Ronaldo, that Lionel Messi, that those names alone are almost bigger than any football club in terms of their commercial commercial sense and their marketability. And that that will obviously bring in so much interest, so much revenue. It will create so much potential. So that that's a really it's almost like it's a business move more than anything else. And I think Ronaldo will obviously add a lot on on in the sporting sense. You know, he's somebody who can obviously, as we all know, score a lot of goals. Manchester City love to have these sort of wide attacks where they get in behind opposition fullbacks and then sort of cut it across goal. Ronaldo would be perfect for that. Now, obviously, I don't think he's perfect in terms of you know if he's thirty six. It might not be the best sign in terms of looking to win the Champions League, but. As you say, it's a signing that goes beyond that and that brings a lot more potential to the club, whereby despite all their exceptionally talented players that they've signed in the past, there's not one name that you kind of think, yeah, in 30 or 40 years' time, everybody is still going to be talking about them as that generational player. They've never really had that. So it's going to be interesting to see if that can sort of elevate them up to this sort of top level of a a brand almost. And obviously, hate using that word about a football club, but that's how these club executives see themselves. And I think this signing could could go a long way to, to boosting City in that regard. Ned, let's talk about the, I mean, Colin touched on it there, the sport inside of things, but how does Cristiano Ronaldo fit in to Manchester City at the minute? Because last season, they, they pretty much played without a striker. I think we all know Gabriel Jesus is a good player, but he isn't, you know, he isn't the player you would expect to be in the line at a top uh, club in the world. Where does Ronaldo fit in? Is he going to be the 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 number nine who's going to be the main striker will they try and put him back maybe to his earlier days and get a roll back to when he was last in the Premier League playing more on the wing how do you see him fitting in I think he fits in perfectly to how they would have had Harry Kane. I think there obviously there's a there's a big age difference in them you know what is it about eight years or whatever but I think the way that I can see Ronaldo playing for for Man City is the same way that you see Conor Kane uh, playing you know kind of dropping deep picking up the ball, playing balls in behind for his for his teammates, running with it forward, shooting from distance, you know, grabbing all kinds of goals, being the man in the box to head home, being the man in the box to finish with his feet. He can do everything, can't he? He can pass, he can score from distance, he can score from close range, he can score headers, score with both feet. So where Man City looked at fitting Harry Kane in and kind of went, he's the striker that he wants, where that kind of fell through and Ronaldo's now available, 
obviously there are, you know, differences in their games. Of course there is, you know, kind of Ronaldo is just a pure physical specimen. You know, he's a, he's a freak of nature in, in the best possible sense. You know, he's a, he's a, he's, you know, without getting too carried away, he's an Adonis, isn't he really? Um, and obviously Kane's not there at that point, but in terms of the way that they play their game, they're not totally dissimilar. If you look at kind of recent years, especially, you know, like kind of, so that's, yeah, he fits in perfectly. Really, there's there's not really much else to, to say. It's a it's a unfortunate for the other Premier League sides because Man City have got the kind of striker that they've been calling out for now. You know, even when they had Aguero or Jesus, as good as they were to be these kind of poachers in the box, when teams forced Man City wide, as we saw Tottenham did on the opening day of the season, and and make them cross into the box, they didn't have that aerial presence that Kane would have given them, and Ronaldo is now going to give them. So the big question is, Colin, who would you have rather had at the start of the window of you Man City? Would you rather have had Harry Kane or would you rather have had Ronaldo? I think you'd definitely rather have had Harry Kane in the sense that there's that eight years of difference. Now, obviously with Kane, there's a lot of question marks in, in, in itself. And now obviously the, the big one was the transfer fee, which, which just made the transfer kind of a non-starter. And I don't think Kane really helped himself with, with how he was represented and how he was sort of portrayed in the media. I think he sort of lost that battle. And I think he had a lot of goodwill from Tottenham fans at the start, which quickly disappeared. And that in itself kind of, it just sort of ended off the chances of that move. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, there's a lot of elements to this because I think I think Manchester City, obviously, they, they needed, I think they need that threat in the final third. A lot of people said, look, they won the league last season. They reached the Champions League final without a sort of an established striker in their starting eleven, But... As we all know, from season to season, sort of tactics change and develop, and clubs will be will be aware of what Man City did last season to get that success. They're more aware of how to stop them, and we saw that with Tottenham on the opening day of the season too. You know, they had that they had that gap um, in terms of not having that real threat in the final third. So yeah, they really needed to bring somebody in. I, I mean, I think Kane would have been perfect for them in a sense because he would have dropped off his and he would have picked up the ball from deep. Ronaldo won't be able to do that. He's going to, you know, Kane's more of a link-up player. And we saw that with, with Son last year, just how good that partnership became. When Kane dropped deep, he, he got into that sort of number 10 role almost and then was able to play the balls in behind the defence for Son to run onto. So that would have worked really, really well at City. They're not going to have that with Ronaldo. But this is a short-term deal. We all know that. It's going to be probably two seasons. And it's going to be interesting to see how the dynamics of that then rub off because are Man City going to be in a, in a potential position in one year or two years from now to sign, so let's say, Erling Haaland, you know, who everybody would, would, would love to have on their team? And you're kind of thinking, is he going to be available next summer? Probably yes. Are Manchester City going to be in a position to sign him next summer? Well, if they had have signed Kean, almost certainly not. But with Ronaldo, there is a chance that they could that they could have had them them both on the books at the same time. Ronaldo has one more year left, and then Haaland will have the kind of run after that. So it's good. I don't think we'll really know until maybe a year or two from now, whenever we can say, well, who are Manchester City going to sign long term? Because Ronaldo isn't a long term solution. We all know that he's going to get them a lot of goals in the short term. He's not going to be able to do much. Everybody knows what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. So I, I think City would rather have had Kane in that immediate kind of. You know, we've got that striker who we've really identified since, but they kind of think, well, maybe, maybe we can get Holland if, if this works out. Well, we'll move on now to the Champions League draw where in the first place to start, Man City, PSG, <laughs> Messi versus Ronaldo. So we'll, we'll jump into that one, Ned. We'll, we'll continue on the Ronaldo train, but in a different <laughs> sense. But what do you make of 
Manchester City's draw, probably the, the best place to start there because you'd think two very good teams and two okay teams, but not great. I mean, yeah, it's still, I think it's it's still tough-ish for City. It's not as bad as it could have been. Um, I'm sure we'll probably come on to groups of death later. But yeah, coming up against PSG, you've gone and signed Lionel Messi. You kind of think, you know, it, it wouldn't be easy. But then obviously Man City are going to go and sign Cristiano Ronaldo as well. So, you know, two of the best players of definitely this generation, perhaps of all time, going toe-to-toe. It's, it's something that we always enjoy seeing. You know, we kind of saw it so much with Barcelona against Real Madrid and now we're seeing it with, you know, Oil Classico instead, really. Um Sorry for the puns, I do apologise. Um, but I think Leipzig can still cause an issue in this group. Um, you know, we've seen it, uh, uh, you know, in the past that they, they, yeah, what was it, only the other year that they got to the semi-finals of the Champions League, didn't they? Um, the issue for them is that I think they're probably in a period of transition now under a new manager where Julian Nagelsmann left in the summer. So we still don't know yet whether or not they are going to be that Leipzig side that they were, which can cause teams problems. You know, they... They sent Man United packing as well. I think didn't they last year they they finished above them in in the group stages. They've sent they've knocked Spurs out previously as well. They they like playing English teams. They've got a good record against English teams and and sending them out of the competition at whatever stage it is. So you're right in respect that yes, Leipzig aren't on the same level as City and PSG, and you would expect them to to progress, but. It, it won't be easy in that game. And then, you know, Bruges as well, um, they've got nothing to lose in every single game. You know, and, that, and that's always a difficult opposition to face, you know, when they can just go out there and play with a bit of freedom, kind of enjoy themselves. And, and that's always going to make it a tough match against them. Yeah, I think you could see Man City dropping points away at Leipzig, couldn't you? Like, and then if they lose both games against PSG, they're suddenly in a, a battle um, to qualify. Manchester United, uh, Villarreal, Atalanta, Young Boys, Colin, it seems on the face of it, a pretty good draw for them. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's a draw that they'll be reasonably happy with. I think being in pot two, you always want to, to avoid that other big, big name. And I mean, Villarreal, United fans know all about now that Villarreal are horrible to play against. You know, they're, they're that sort of team that, that, that really make makes things difficult. Um, and that you, you, see, you see that in Europa League, you see that in La Liga as well. They tend to draw a lot of games. They're very difficult to beat. We all know about Unai Emery in that sense. And, United and Villarreal have played each other four times prior to the Europa League final last year, and all four of those games had ended nil nil. So hopefully, hopefully that's not a, a kind of repeat of what's going to happen in this group. But I don't think we're going to get that with Atalanta, who who've been this this sort of remarkable uh, team in Serie A in recent years. You know, won this uh, compar- comparatively a shoestring budget, and they've gone to the quarterfinals of the Champions League. They got knocked out by Real Madrid last year, but they're a regular in the knockouts now. They're a really fun team, and they're a team who, are, again, who are very difficult to play against, but in a different sense. So it's going to be, it's going to be two of those three to progress in this group. I don't think young boys burn are going to going to have enough to seriously um, push push this top two, but. I think United will get through. I think United and Atlanta are probably the two slight favourites. But again, it's going to be one of those groups where you kind of think winning your home games is absolutely vital because you're going to drop points against Villarreal and it's never easy to go to Atlanta either. So I think United will have enough, but I don't think it's quite as straightforward just because there's no star teams in the group as such. It'll still be a difficult enough draw. Yeah, Liverpool, they've got one of the harder groups. You know, Atletico Madrid, Spanish champions going to be difficult. FC Porto, AC Milan, who it's, it's you know, it feels like they spent years in the doldrums, but they seem to be on the on the up now. Ned, what do you make of Liverpool's group? Because you look at that and they've probably got the hardest out of all the English sides. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you kind of look at the, you looked at the pots before the draw and you kind of saw that where it wasn't necessarily the bigger teams, you know. So in France, you had Lille 
um, you know, being the champions, so they're in pot one. Inter Milan have had their team ripped apart, so they're in pot one. Um, you know, Villarreal, as we touched on, being Europa League champions in pot one as well. So you're kind of looking at it and you're kind of like, there's not too many horrible teams that you want to, to avoid in pot one. Unfortunately, Atletico were uh, and Bayern Munich were, were two of those. Liverpool have ended up with Atletico. Um, Porto as well, they're kind of hit and miss, aren't they? You know, they can be good and they can be bad. Um, you know, I know Man City hated playing against them and that's the thing as well. They're going to be a difficult side to play against because they're gnarly and nasty now on the Sergio Conte show. Um, so that's not going to be easy for Liverpool. I know obviously they, they thrashed them, I think, wasn't it, on the route to, was it the 2018 final or was it the 2019 win that they smashed them on, on route to it or whatever and, and they kind of, might have been both years, I think, just off the top of my head. Um, but it's a different team now on the Conte show and, and it'll be a different uh, puzzle for them to try and break down and get through and as you said you know Milan are an interesting one in that they seem to be on the way back up um, you know an, an aging Zlatan Ibrahimovic but he's still going to be someone that kind of you know like Ronaldo as well kind of drags his team kicking and screaming to places that they probably shouldn't be going to um, and and having that kind of character in the team especially in the way matches um, and even going to the San Siro as well you know that would be a, a great return to a kind of um you know, a venue that we haven't seen, obviously, Milan in the Champions League in for, for a long time now. Um, in terms of, yeah, if you had to look at the draws and even even you look across the whole kind of group stage um, in, in general, that is definitely the group of death, I think, in this one um, because you could easily put forward a case for each of those four teams to finish in any of those four positions, you know, be it first, second, third or fourth. And final English side in there, Chelsea. Uh, they've got Juventus, who could well be without Cristiano Ronaldo. Also, Zenit Team Petersburg and Malmo. So, again, it looks like a reasonably straightforward route for them to get out of their group stages. So, we'll, we'll look now at the Premier League. Liverpool v Chelsea is, is obviously the, the game that sticks out, Colin. How do you see that one going? Big test for both teams. Both sides are, are definite title contenders. Liverpool maybe swept under the rug a little bit. I think people have almost forgotten about how good they were for, for two years, a couple of years ago. Chelsea, of course, bringing in Romelu Lukaku and everyone's saying that they have completed their team. So is this going to be a real eye into seeing exactly where these clubs are at the minute? Yeah, you're exactly right. I think this game is really, really important just to see exactly where these two clubs are at. I mean, they, they both have perfect records going into it, but I don't think either have really been, been tested yet. You know, we, we kind of expected Liverpool to win at Norwich. We kind of expected them to beat Burnley. And yet Chelsea had a, had a tough away game at Arsenal, but you know, Arsenal had so many players missing. They, they're they obviously not in a very good position themselves at the moment. So this is this is the real test, I think, for, for both sides. And both sides are definitely in the title mix. Um, I think what's going to be crucial in this game is going to be it's going to be the Van Dyke against Lukaku um, kind of battle that's going to go on because I think you know it's been well established that Lukaku's come in Chelsea club record he obviously had a, had a superb debut at Arsenal the only the only defence he could really struggle up against is, is a defence which is physical and which kind of combat him in that in that aspect of it and I think Van Dyke's probably one of the very few defenders who can do that so it's going to be interesting to see will Lukaku change his game will Chelsea maybe alter their attacking formation just just a little bit to kind of tweak it and maybe have Lukaku play in maybe a slightly wider role or dropping slightly deeper just to see if he can draw Van Dijk out a bit. It's That's going to be a really interesting battle and obviously we're talking about the importance of Lukaku at Chelsea but obviously Van Dijk at Liverpool goes without saying too. His return from injury is huge as is obviously the signing of Konate. 
and the return of fitness of Matt Maddox. So they're, they're quite well stocked in that central defensive area now. Like, I mean, this this is going to be, it's not going to be a game that decides anything, but it's going to be a game where we can see what the sort of plan is, I think, for both teams going in, into the season longer because they both started off with two wins. I don't think there's been any sort of upsets in that sense. Um, but this is going to be interesting to see just how they can cope with these sorts of occasions and just how, which which can get the better of each other when, when it comes down to these crunch matches. Yeah, and, and Collins mentioned something there, Ned, which I think is very important to me. It's Virgil van Dijk's basically spent a year injured. He comes back in and he's had two pretty easy games back in, let's be honest. Now he's got a real challenge. This is going to show whether or not this is the Virgil van Dijk we knew and loved a year ago or whether or not he has actually been really affected by this injury. Oh, absolutely. You know, and this is the kind of mouthwatering, you know, the, the whole week, this is something that I've been looking forward to to seeing before I realised that I'm at a wedding reception and I won't be able to watch the match at all. And just to make it worse, the groom happens to be a Liverpool fan as well. So I can only feel even more sorry for him. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll probably be looking at the phone whilst he's doing his speech, you know, or maybe he'll just have it up on a big screen for us. I don't know. Uh, Tom, if you're watching, that's an idea. Um, but yeah, in terms of this battle, it is going to be a great opportunity for Van Dyke to really, you know, test himself. And I know you said that it was fairly easy. And I, you know, I, I will agree with you on that respect that, you know, there will be tougher teams to face than Burnley and to face than Norwich this season. But it, you know, Timmy Pookie's a physical in your face striker. Uh, Ashley Barnes as well. Last week, you know, he's you're going to come off with bruises after you finish playing against Ashley Barnes. Like they are not on the same level as Romelu Lukaku, of course. But in terms of you know, kind of easing you in, kind of getting you ready for the physicality of it again after what was it, ten months out nearly, wasn't it? Um, he'll he'll have he'll have had a sighter. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a step up for him. And, and as you said, you know, we are going to see whether or not this is the Van Dyke of old and, and whether that kind of whole thing about, you know, former temporary class is permanent and whether or not he is still, you know, this this guy that we talk about as being the best centre-half in the world or as you said there, Connor, whether or not this injury has, has had a bigger effect on him than we may have otherwise thought. Other game this weekend, Manchester City-Arsenal and this could be the one where we get a cricket score or maybe Arsenal surprise everyone. Of course, the one 6-0 in the week. Maybe they've, they've found that mojo again and they could maybe be on the... the I can see Ned Sheen, he said they're being the top of the fan. But could, could that result have really sparked you know, confidence into Arsenal because they look bereft of it in the first two games of the season. They, they do not look like a team capable of winning football matches. They go to West Brom, they get a big win. Now they're going to go to Man City. They've had a really difficult start the season in terms of, you know, that Brentford game, even though it's a newly promoted side, you don't want to play a newly promoted side away on the first game of the season. It's always got banana skin written all over it. Chelsea last weekend mauled them, but again, they, they just look a formidable team with Romelu Lukaku and Man City. You know they they were absolutely phenomenal last weekend against Norwich. So this is this is going to be a, a really difficult game for Mikel Arteta, Colin. How do you see it go? Is there a chance that Arsenal could could surprise everyone and, and pick up at least a point? I I really don't see it at all, to be honest. I mean, you, yeah, you're 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 right in the sense that Arsenal players well have picked up confidence from that win at West Brom. But listen, we're talking again about them playing a, a West Brom reserve team. You know that 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 game was essentially a waste of time in terms of in terms of the ultimate outcome of it. Arsenal were always going to win by feeling a strong team. But yes, you're right. They they will have picked up confidence from that. Of course, Bamian gets a hat trick. He gets six goals to keep a clean sheet. That's a boost for everyone. Um, and it was obviously a much much needed boost for Arsenal players going into this, but. I think when you, when you, when you really analyze this, I mean Manchester City just have better players. They've got a better coach. They've got better depth. They have all the advantages going into this game. 
And the only thing I would say about Arsenal is that, yes, as sort of unreliable and as bad a place as they might be in at the moment, they don't really tend to capitulate in the same ways that they may have done in previous years in these sorts of matches. I mean, even look at the the result last season at Manchester City and they only went down one nil and it was a bit of a scrappy game. There wasn't there wasn't really anything to shout about in it. That's despite the quality difference between the two teams. And I think Mikel Arteta, the, the one the one sort of clear strength that he has as a coach is that he does know how to how to organise his teams reasonably well and to nullify his opposition. He obviously knows Pep Guardiola better than any other coach in the Premier League. So in that sense you kind of think could they keep this tight? Probably reasonably, yeah. I, I can't say Manchester City racking up a, a cricket score in this game, but I don't really see any other outcome than them getting the three points, and especially with the with the sort of background news about Cristiano Ronaldo potentially joining the club, that gives everybody a lift in itself, and that that motivates the players when you know that there's a big player coming in. That creates a sense of optimism in itself, and I think I think Manchester City are, are, are strong, strong favourites for the three points here. And Ned, I'm going to ask you a hard question here. If you were going to visualise an Arsenal win, how does it happen? It doesn't. You're asking me to do the impossible. Um, going back to that win in midweek, um, I, I found it quite, um, you know, what's the, what's the word? To, you know, as a Spurs fan, what's the best word to kind of use it? And it's not disappointing, but to show how far Arsenal have fallen away from where they previously were, if you looked at any of their players' social media accounts after, a, you know, virtually a full-strength Arsenal side beats an under-18 West Brom side 6-0 in the Carabao Cup in the second round, which you're in because you've been out of Europe. And if you look at their social media accounts, they, they were celebrating like they'd won the FA Cup or the league title or whatever, you know. like, And that's where they're going to fall down, I think, against Man City because they don't have the character and they don't have the strength and resolve in the squad to be able to kind of tough it out and to dog it out and get those tough wins away from home, you know. You watch Liverpool versus Chelsea later on Saturday and you will see that those teams have fighting qualities in them, that they will battle and scrap. It's, you know, they both will be lucky, Liverpool and Chelsea, to be able to play a game where they can, you know, free fly and passing movements. They'll have nice passings in the game, but there'll be periods where they're under pressure and they've got to tough it out. And Arsenal will have a lot of that against Man City and they won't do it. They, they, I, I don't see them having that resolve at the back to be able to do it. The way that they can beat them is that they need to go back and watch the way that Tottenham played against them as much as that will hurt them because it was very similar to how Leicester got at Man City last year and I'm surprised that more teams haven't tried to do this more. If you force that Man City team wide where they do not have a central striker at the minute, it will all change when Cristiano Ronaldo comes in, trust me. But at the minute where they don't have that big tall aerial presence in the middle. If you force them wide and make them cross in, there is no one there to finish that off. That is how Arsenal beat them, but Arsenal do not have the nous and the desire and heart and hunger to be able to do that for 90 minutes. No, well, I'm glad you, you half-answered it. So, <laughs> okay, you did tell her how they'd win, uh, which is what I was looking for. Uh, well, unless anybody else has anything else to add, uh, if you want to go back and talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, I don't know if the news has changed in the last five minutes, it probably has. Um, but I'd just like to thank you guys for coming on and it's been a a good conversation good games this weekend to look forward to Um, thanks for joining us thanks Ned thanks Colin and uh, we'll see you next week 